Amen. Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, you want to take those out and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be there in just a few moments as we talk today about, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. One night, many, many years ago, a Christian woman was having a hard time sleeping. It was well past her usual bedtime, but she found herself overwhelmed with fear. Her husband, a man by the name of Colonel James Gracie, was crossing the Atlantic that night on his way home from England. When she couldn't push the frightening thoughts away, she got out of bed and she began to pray. Right about that same time, out on the ocean, the safest ship that had ever been built, the Titanic, had struck an iceberg and was beginning to sink. Panic had broken out, of course, as people realized there weren't enough lifeboats for everyone on board. And Colonel Gracie had given up all hopes of surviving himself, but he was doing the best that he could to help others into the lifeboats. His only wish was that he would be able to get some kind of message to his beloved wife. As the ship began to slip into the water, he said goodbye to her in his heart. Meanwhile, back in America, Mrs. Gracie was still praying. After two hours of praying, she still didn't have any peace. And so she continued to pray on until about five o'clock in the morning. And it was then that a certain peace possessed her. And she went to sleep. Out in the North Atlantic, Colonel Gracie was plunged into the icy water and then sucked into a giant whirlpool that had formed as the ship was sinking. He kicked and he swam against the currents and he found himself pushing out, popping up onto the surface, very near an overturned lifeboat. Along with a few other people, he climbed aboard the top of that overturned lifeboat and they waited until five o'clock in the morning when they were picked up by another boat and carried away to safety. Well, you know, of all the prayers that we pray, the most frequent, perhaps, the most fervent is the prayer for protection, for the safety and the well-being of ourselves and those that we love. In fact, it might have been one of the very first prayers you learned to pray as a child. You can say it with me if you want. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Well, that's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? But even as kids, we understood that there was a big bad world out there where anything could happen. And as grown-ups, we're even more aware of how difficult and dangerous life can be, which is why every time you board an airplane, Every time your kids leave the house, every time you hear something go bump in the night, you might ask God to keep you and your loved ones safe, close to him. Stories like that of Colonel Gracie and his wife encourage us to keep on praying these kinds of prayers. Clearly, clearly something supernatural was happening that night. God was inviting Mrs. Gracie to participate through prayer in the rescue of her husband. Now at the same time, we know that there were others on board that ship who also had people 
praying for them. But some of those passengers didn't survive. And so how are we to understand this? Just how are we supposed to pray in the face of difficulty and danger? And what is it that we can expect from God when we do? Well, to answer those questions, I want to explore the last few lines of what is often called the Lord's Prayer. Our model prayer, our template for real conversation with God as provided by his son, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer together as recorded in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. The words are on the screen. Let us pray this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Amen. The word of God. The first movement of this prayer is all about connection. Our Father, holy, hallowed is your name. The second movement is about submission. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. The third and the fourth are about provision about confession. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive others. The last movement, our text for today though, is about protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now it's just a handful of words, but they raise all kinds of questions and they offer a remarkable promise. And so I'd like to explore this little phrase with you in three phrases and see what we can learn about prayer in the time of trouble and temptation that comes into our life. And so the first phrase in this prayer for protection begins with two simple words, lead us, lead us. Now, Jesus was well aware of the kind of world in which his disciples would live. He was well aware of the world in which we live today. He understands that it is a fallen world, a broken world, a deceitful world, a place where the forces of nature sometimes run amok. It is a sinful world where human beings do foolish and wicked things sometimes to one another. It is a haunted world where Satan attempts to thwart God's purposes and ruin our souls. Jesus himself battled that enemy for 40 days in the wilderness. And he knew that his followers, like us, would also have to engage in similar spiritual warfare. Now there are thousands of ways to get hurt in this world, physically, emotionally, spiritually. What if the cancer comes back? What if our kids or our grandkids get into drugs? What if our parents or our kids get divorced? What if our friend or our family member turns away from Christ? As he sends us out into this difficult and dangerous world, Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us, 
lead us, Father. And it's a very interesting word that Jesus uses here. It's not the the usual, the most common word for lead, which means to direct or to go in front. Instead, Jesus chooses a very specific word that means to, to bring or to carry. The word implies personal involvement and assistance. And so it's not a a general directing his troops from afar, from the safety of a distant hilltop, but rather it's more like a shepherd walking alongside the flock as they make their way through the valley of the shadow. Notice that the prayer that Jesus gives us is not keep us from temptation and evil, because that's impossible. As free people living in a fallen world, we are going to encounter trouble and hardship and evil. That's why the Lord taught us to pray, lead us, bring us through, Father, show us the way. You know, if you were to hire a a guide to take you on a, a wilderness trip, you would not expect him to eliminate all of the obstacles and challenges. After all, it's supposed to be some kind of an adventure, isn't it? And so you would want your guide to show you the way, to draw upon his unique knowledge and expertise to see you through and to get you safely home again. Many years ago, Sue and I went on a a whitewater rafting trip on the Deschutes River. We went with a church group up in Portland. It was not the first time that we'd gone rafting. But when we arrived, we were given very careful instructions. We met our professional guide who taught us all of the ins and outs of how to wear our life jacket and how to paddle in the raft. He told us about himself. He was clearly experienced. He'd been on the river for many years. So we began. We launched out. We were enjoying the trip, fellowship with our friends, having an adventure, having some fun going through some of the rapids until we came to one particular rapids where our boat went kind of nose first deep into a hole. And suddenly, three people from our boat were in the water. One of them was the guy that was directly on my left. One of them was my wife. Sue, and one of them was the guide. The guide fell into the water. The rest of us kind of fell into the bottom of the boat, and then we scurried, and we began to look around, and we were panicked a bit. I helped the guy closest to me a bit, and I began to look around and look for Sue, and I didn't see her until I saw her head bobbing down the river farther from us. My heart Leapt. And then someone said, The guide! The guide fell into the river. I'll tell you, I said a very quick prayer. But my desire was to jump into the water and to chase after my wife. But somehow, those of us remaining in the boat were able to paddle over to the bank. And eventually, our guide swam to the bank somewhere behind us and hiked down. And met us, and a lone kayaker who just happened to be behind us was able to race ahead in his kayak and catch Sue 
bring her back safely to us. You see, friends, we have a God who brings us through the wild rapids of life. Sometimes he carries us. Sometimes he pushes us. But always, if we belong to him, he brings us through somehow. By the way, we never went white rod or rafting again. <laughs> And so, friends, this is why before we head out the door in the morning to face the work day, before we send our kids off on a field trip or off to college or to the battlefield, before we have a hard conversation with someone or we have to make a difficult decision, this is why we should pray, Father, lead me. Lead me. That simple prayer assures us that the Lord will not only show us the way, but he will be there right beside us to guide us through. Now, the second phrase is perhaps one of the most confusing in the whole prayer. Father, lead us not into temptation. Not into temptation. As we say these words, we might wonder what they mean and why we should say them. Why do we ask God to not lead us into temptation? It's like asking your wilderness guide, don't lead me off a cliff. You would think you wouldn't have to specify that, right? And so let's see if we can kind of clarify what, we're is, what it is that we're called to ask here. And what we're not asking when we say these words, lead us not into temptation. First of all, let's consider that word temptation. Temptation is a solicitation to evil, an invitation to do the wrong thing. When you tempt someone, you want them to fail. You remember the story all the way back in Genesis when Satan tempted Adam and Eve? He wanted them to fail. He wanted them to eat from that forbidden fruit and thus alienate themselves from God. Now, we, we know from Scripture and from his character that God would never, never solicit us to pursue evil. In James chapter 1 and verse 13, James, the apostle, writes this little phrase. He says, when tempted, catch that, when tempted, not if, but when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. That is the word of the Apostle James. So God never solicits us to evil. He doesn't want us to fail. He wants us to stand. He wants us to do the right thing, the good thing. But the word translated as temptation, can also be translated as test. Now, when you test someone, you want them to pass. For instance, a good teacher doesn't give a test in hopes that the students will fail. The purpose of the test is to prove that the students have mastered the material and are ready to move on to bigger and better things. And so, while God will never lead us into temptation, 
he may take a temptation, a solicitation to evil, and turn it to a test, an opportunity for his children to prove ourselves. Here's an example. Think of it this way. Let's suppose that you're on a diet, and you happen to be riding in the car with me one day, and I know you're on a diet, and I deliberately drive you past the ice cream stand. And as we drive past, I slow down, and I point out and say, look, the ice cream store is open. I then pull into the parking lot so that we can get a look at the list of flavors. I even suggest, hey, it wouldn't hurt to ask for one of those little tiny plastic spoonfuls, little samples just to try it out. There's no harm in that. You see what's going on there? That is temptation. I am inviting you to do the wrong thing. I am setting you up to fail. You see, our God would never do that because he never wants us to fail. However, sometimes the road of life takes us past the ice cream store, doesn't it? And that's not because God is setting us up. It just happens to be there. But if we ask God to help us, to see us through, perhaps we'll find that over time, we'll be able to drive right past the store. And what might have once been a temptation or even an occasion for failure becomes a test that proves we are able to stand. And so when we pray this, this prayer, Lord, lead us not into temptation. What we're doing is we're asking God to lead us through life in such a way that the difficulties that we encounter, which are often much more serious than the ice cream store, let's just be real about it. The difficulties that we encounter don't undermine our faith, rather they strengthen it. Lord, lead us not into temptation. And yet, still, this is a confusing phrase. It's, it sounds strange to ask God not to lead us into temptation. And I'll just be honest with you. Thousands of pages have been written about this by all kinds of, of scholars, guys way smarter than me. I've read some of them. But, you know, it just seems to me this, this whole thing could be resolved very simply with a, just a well-placed comma. Lead us... Pause. Not into temptation. You see, there's no punctuation in the original manuscripts of the New Testament. It's kind of up to us to kind of figure it out. And so perhaps a simple pause after the phrase, lead us, gives us maybe a sense of what Jesus is trying to communicate here. And so perhaps if I could, I might paraphrase the prayer a little bit like this. Lord, as we make our way through this difficult and dangerous world, Lord, lead us. Bring us through situations that could lead to our downfall and turn them into opportunities for me to do the right thing so that I can move on to bigger and better things. 
So, as a student heads out the door in the morning, she might pray, Lord, lead me today when I'm taking that math test. Help me not to take unfair advantages, but to do my own work. And Father, when students start gossiping about other students, help me to, to speak up for them or to walk away. Or a business traveler might pray, Lord, Lord, when I'm away from home, lead me and keep my mind focused on my work and on my family so that I'm not distracted or tempted to do something foolish. A believer, perhaps, who has lost their spouse might pray something like, Lord, lead me away from self-pity and isolation and direct me to new activities and relationships where I can honor you. You see, friends, calling on Jesus is one of the most helpful ways to deal with temptation. Sometimes if we just simply speak the name of Jesus out loud or in our head, we can find incredible strength to walk away. A few years ago in a, in a seminar, I was introduced to a little prayer called simply the Jesus Prayer. It's a very simple recited prayer that goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a simple little prayer that you can use in times of difficulty, stress, temptation, trial, hardship. Let's, let's say it together. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's try it again. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, because in the end, sin isn't so much about violating a rule as it is about violating a relationship with our Heavenly Father. You know, it's difficult to start a conversation with the Lord, to speak His name, and then to deliberately turn away from him and do something that we know is wrong. Life presents enough temptation on its own without God having to lead us into it. And so this part of the prayer simply reminds us to turn to God when we do encounter the hardship and ask him for the strength, the strength to drive right past it, moving on, to bigger and better things that he has for his children. Lord, lead me, not into temptation. Well, sometimes, though, the road of life doesn't just lead us past tempting situations. Sometimes that road leads us right into the muck and the mire of hardship and trials and brokenness that can threaten our faith. And so with that in mind, let's look at that third final phrase of the prayer. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. And I want you to notice a couple of things here. First of all, the prayer isn't keep us from evil, is it? But deliver us from evil. This is not a prayer for immunity from trouble or danger in spiritual attack. It's not some some magic elixir that we could just speak and it fixes everything. In fact, the Lord 
never promises his children that if we just pray enough, bad things won't happen. That's a, that's a lie from Satan. In fact, the word deliver assumes trouble, doesn't it? To deliver someone is to rescue them from danger or to see them through a hard time. Here's some great examples from Scripture. The people of Israel, you might remember, were delivered from Egypt. But only after 400 years of slavery and 10 plagues and a frightening passage through the midst of the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army pursuing right behind them, deliver us from evil, Lord. How about, remember those, those three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego? Remember them? They were delivered from the fiery furnace. What a great story. But remember, they were only delivered after they were imprisoned and after they were thrown into the flames. Deliverance isn't an exemption from trials. And if anybody has taught you that God's people ought to be exempt from trials, they are liars. Scripture does not teach that. Our Lord does not teach that. Deliverance is not an exemption from trials. It is an intervention in the midst of trials. I want you to notice something else also, that it is deliver us from evil. From evil, not deliver us from harm. This is not so much about our physical safety, which we so often focus on, but our spiritual safety. Evil speaks of those dark forces in the world moving about that threaten to tear us away from God and to thwart his good purposes for our lives. That's why some versions translate this in English, deliver us from the evil one. The evil one, because the Bible describes Satan as a thief who comes to do what? To steal and kill and destroy. The Bible describes Satan as one who prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. And so friends, this isn't a prayer that bad things will never happen to us. I'm sorry to say, sometimes bad things happen to all of us. But it is a prayer that bad things will never get to us. That is, that those bad things will not turn us away from God, that they will not derail the good work that he has begun in each of us who call upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus himself offered this prayer while praying for his disciples, just before going to the cross. He knew that he was about to die. He was about to, to leave these this small group of men behind, he poured so much time into them. And so in John chapter 17, he prays a lengthy prayer. But in verse 15, here's what he prays. He says, Father, my prayer is not that you take them out of this world, that is his disciples, not that you take them out of this world, but Father, that you protect them from the evil one. You see, Jesus knew full well that his disciples would suffer on account of him. That they would be harassed, thrown in jail, some of them even put to death. 
He knew that the forces of evil would come against them to silence their witness or to shipwreck their faith. And so he prayed that in those difficult moments that their faith would not fail, that they would be able to stand. Does that resonate with you? I hope that it does. Because that prayer is for us as well. And because that is how we should pray for ourselves and our loved ones in, in, in times of spiritual danger. And so when you drop your daughter off at university with scenes of Animal House dancing in your head, you might pray, Lord, keep her from people and influences that will lead her away from you. Guide her to a healthy church. Provide her with good Christian fellowship. Don't let her be influenced by intellectual attacks on her faith, but let those drive her deeper into your word for answers. Or when a married couple finds themselves in times of trouble, because that happens in marriages, doesn't it? They might pray, Lord, don't let the enemy drive a wedge between us. Keep us from doing something foolish or rash to relieve our pain. Father, help us to turn toward you and toward one another. When tragedy strikes in your family, when hardship, when the bad news comes, we might pray something like this. Lord, meet us in our time of grief. Help us not to pull away from you in anger, Lord, but rather bring my pain and my anger to you. Father, let this experience draw me closer to you. Grant me comfort and courage for this day. You see, that is a prayer of deliverance from evil. It's not immunity from all the hard things of life. I'm sorry. But we don't get that. But it is divine intervention that preserves and, friends, even strengthens our faith. So it turns out that the little childhood prayer isn't so far off after all. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. It might not be the best prayer for a five-year-old before she climbs into bed. But it reminds us that nothing, not even death, can separate us from God's love and his purposes. When the Apostle Paul was in prison, he wrote to the Philippian church. And, and he expressed confidence he, through their prayers. He said, all these things will turn out for my deliverance. That's what he said as he writes from his prison cell. Everything's going to work out okay, guys. And what he meant was he was either going to be set free to be able to continue preaching the gospel or, or he would be martyred for his faith and by his death perhaps inspire others to be more bold in their witness and to go on to spend eternity with Christ. And so either way, Paul understood. He and God would win. You see, that is deliverance from evil. Lord, deliver us from evil. Well, I thought it might be appropriate 
to close up with this story as we approach the anniversary of September 11th. That's next Sunday. It's a significant day in the history of our nation, if you remember what happened on September 11th, 2001. Early on a September morning, a Christian woman named Lisa Jefferson was working her usual shift as a supervisor at the Verizon Airphone Call Center. When a distraught operator who worked for her handed her the handset and said that she was talking to a passenger on United Airlines Flight 93. Lisa picked up the phone and she heard the voice that said, I am Todd Beamer from Cranberry, New Jersey. He said, three people have hijacked this plane. Two have taken over the cockpit and are flying the plane. Well, as she was literally speaking to Todd in that moment, Lisa learned what was happening at the World Trade Center in New York City. Lisa began to pray, even as she listened to the frightened voice on the other end. And he said, if I don't get out of this, will you tell my wife and my children that I love them? Todd said to her, she assured him that she would. And then Todd asked her to say the Lord's Prayer with him. Slowly, phrase by phrase, he and Lisa prayed the prayer together. When they were done, Todd said, Jesus, help me. And a few moments later, with resolve in his voice, he whispered into the phone, a few of us are going to jump these guys. We well, are well aware of the rest of the story. As we know, Flight 93 soon crashed into a Pennsylvania farm field that morning. Crashed into that field instead of into our nation's capital where it would have caused much greater destruction. In James chapter 1, in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. You see, Todd Beamer knew how to pray. Somebody had taught him that. In fact, he had been doing it his whole life. And when he found himself facing this trial, he knew what to do. He asked God to lead him, to help him stand, and stand he did. And I believe that Todd received the crown of life that day, and in the process, he blessed his wife and his children and untold numbers of Christ followers who can be inspired by his faith and his courage. Now, none of us hope to find ourselves or someone we love thrust into a situation like that. But we never know what a day might bring. Is that right? Whatever may come, we have this prayer. A prayer that invites God to bring us through trials and temptations with our faith intact 
and rescues us from danger. Probably many more times than we are even aware of. And so it is right. It is right to pray for protection when we board an airplane or merge onto the highway or walk out the front door into this fallen, unpredictable world. But friends, sometimes the road of life takes us headlong into trouble and into heartache and into grief and into disappointment. And that is why we ask God to lead us, to bring us, to carry us through in a way that honors him, that blesses others and advances his good purposes for each of us who call Jesus Lord and Savior. Let's pray together.